0: All right, y'all, we are in Romans chapter 6. We are in a series called The Romans Road Trip. Cutwright sent me, I should have, man, I should have brought that picture. He sent me a picture um, on the left, so just imagine on the left side of the screen was the Pope, and on the right side of the screen was... Some really old, scraggly-looking dude, and it was basically like at the start of Romans and in the middle of Romans. <laughs> like Sometimes I feel like that. Um, while I'm pulling up my notes, let me just tell you this. Um, some of you are here, you're kind of brand new to the church, so I'll just take a minute to say that tonight is um, Discover the Gathering. If you'd like to come to that, please see this most beautiful young lady here on the front row, Wendy. She leads that. She does a fantastic job. Um, but she does like to know that you're coming. If you can come, let her know that. And then also, um, I'll give you a sneak peek. This is one of the things that would be covered tonight, but I'll just cover it here. When people come for the first time or the first couple of times, they eventually will say, Hey, uh, crazy question. Do y'all ever take up an offering? And, well, I mean, we do, kind of. Um, we don't pass a plate. It just is something that we've never done. doesn't mean that we someday won't, but it just means we've never done that. So there's boxes as you walk out. Um, I am just a firm believer that when you're madly in love with somebody, you do the stuff that keeps you close to that person. And so if you're madly in love with Jesus and he said that loving him would make you a generous person, then you'll give. I just believe that with all my heart. We've never had a, well, I shouldn't say we've never had financial struggles because, like, if you're giving away the things that God gives you, you're always going to have, have you seen this in your own budget? Like, God says, hey, give them everything that's in your wallet. And you only have one bill, and it's like a 50 or something. Do they make $50 bills? Yes. Yes. Clearly, I need to step into another financial realm, don't I? <laughs> um Anyway, I should probably get my nose open, so Wendy's like, "Please start preaching and stop talking off off the cuff <laughs> Anyway, if you want to give, you can do that, and I think you can also give online and and I'm sorry, it's easy, it's easy to give online. okay, C- Cecil says it's easy. yes yeah, yeah, very easy. yeah. <laughs> everybody go to the bathroom? So, uh, Wednesday night, I told her, the people at Wednesday night in prayer to go to the bathroom. There's, um, when you go to the bathroom, we have these things called News Flush. Isn't that cute? News Flush. They're right there at the toilet. You can't, you can't miss it. The News Flush. This is way too much. Some people can miss the toilet, but I didn't want to, I didn't mean it that way. Um, I am digging a hole. So, but... There's a, there's a, on the newsflash, there's a bunch of announcements and there's QR codes. Use them. Like, so the, the cards that are in the back of the chair, you can use the QR code to open up a connection card, tell us the next step. You can use the QR code to listen to my podcast. Um, And I don't know if my podcast is all that great, but the last interview I did was phenomenal because of the guy that I interviewed. It was, it was, it's worth, it's worth going to the bathroom and scanning a QR code. So, do that. Okay, Romans chapter 6, um, 1 through 14. We're going to take a chunk of scripture, okay? And let's just see if we can get through this. Um, how many of you remember last week we talked about DNA? This is going to catch you all up if you haven't been here for Romans. So, am I the only one who has prayed the same, feels like the same prayer to God over and over and over again? I especially remember when I was a teenager. And I loved Jesus with all my heart, but I couldn't stop looking at things I shouldn't be looking at. And so it felt like every youth service, um, I was at the altar. And I was, I mean, I felt like I could, some of y'all are too, too, young, too young for this, but we had these things called um, like cassette recorders, micro cassette recorders. And I felt like I could just hit play and just play for God the same prayer that I was getting ready to pray. I'd prayed it so many times. God, forgive me. Help me to love you more than that thing I shouldn't be doing. And why can't I stop it? And all these things. Anybody ever prayed a prayer like that? You, you have yours and I had mine. Hey, Jumbo Juice just walked in the back of the church. There he is right there. Give Jumbo Juice a hand. Um, when you heard that promo for the Thanksgiving, that was Jumbo Juice's song. He was singing it, a hymn and cut right. Anyway, so if you've ever prayed a prayer like that, then you're going you're gonna to resonate with Romans chapter 6 and Romans chapter 7 and Romans chapter 8. And so what we're talking about is going to seem very foreign, right? What I told you last week, if you weren't here, I won't show you the pictures again. But we learned collectively, some of you are smarter than me, you already knew this, but collectively we learned that caterpillars are actually not caterpillars. What are they? Butterflies. Butterflies. I never knew this that scientists have extracted DNA from caterpillars and have found that they don't have caterpillar DNA, they have butterfly DNA. And that's a huge, beautiful picture of the Christian faith. We are new creations in Christ. Turn to the person next to you and say, you are new. We just don't always look new. We don't always feel new. Sometimes it feels like we're still living the old life. Don't point to the person next to you, but maybe just kind of do this. But aren't we around Christians who say they're Christians and they don't live very Christian lives? So either they're not Christians or they're a butterfly shedding caterpillar skin. Just really slowly. Right? Don't again don't point out the person next to you who could be a very slow butterfly becomer, if that's a phrase. Romans chapter 6. The reason I say all this is because you're gonna hear very clear language in the 14 verses I'm getting ready to read about how Christians should interact with sin. Very clear. How clear? Very clear. He's gonna use words like Dead, right? Like we are dead to sin. And when I read it, you're going to be tempted. See how I'm excited because I'm sitting on my tiptoes. I'm so into this. You're going to be tempted to be like, oh, well, clearly the Bible's not true because my spouse is still sinning a lot. And we're going to talk about that, okay? But the Bible is true. And listen, y'all, such hope in this passage of Scripture. So much good news. Here we go. Romans chapter 6. I'm not going to make you stand because it's a lot of verses. So here we go. Follow along. It's up on the screen too. Paul writes this, what shall we say then? And he's, he's pointing back to the end of chapter 5 um, where he talked about how where sin increases, what else increases? Grace increases, and he uses the phrase, all the more. So basically, if you've heard somebody say you can't out the grace of God, that's where that comes from. So he says, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? Verse 2, by no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Verse 5, for if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. If you have a pen or a highlighter and you're a marker in your Bible person, I would circle the word certainly. We will certainly also be united with him in resurrection, for we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. I'm singing the song from Bethel, as anybody else. I said, I'm done, because anyone that was like starting the national anthem in the wrong key. Verse 7, are y'all good? This side is into it already, and this side's like, what's happening? They're like, that's not in the Bible. Verse 7, because anyone who has died, y'all, this is one of those verses you're going to shake your head and go, there's no way that's true, but listen, he just said, anyone who has died, and he said, who has died? Christians, y'all. Not everybody, but believers, followers, people who are apprenticing under Jesus have died to sin. And he said, because anyone, that's Paul, who has died has been set free from sin. And that makes us scratch our heads. Because we're like, not only is my spouse still sinning, I don't mean Wendy necessarily, but we also now know that we are too. Are y'all feeling this? Okay, Good. Verse 8, now, if we die with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. So that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. Verse 14, for sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law, but under grace. We should pray, right? God, help me in the next few moments I know that people in the room are saying, yes, God, please let it be just a few moments. Help me to clearly communicate your heart and your truth and not my opinion or anybody else's preference. Just your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, This is a lot, y'all. So can I just say at the beginning, if you're a note taker on your app or whatever, um, let me give you a couple couple apps, some tools. version is phenomenal, right? So if you've got the app version, you can go in there. You can look at any passage of Scripture. You can tap that verse, and you can compare different versions. If you're like me, like I study out of the New American Standard. I love the NIV. I love the NLT. I also love to see what, like, Eugene Peterson had to say through the message. Sometimes I like to see what the Passion says. Um, I just, and you can do all that with one click. It's a great app. Blue Letter Bible is another fantastic app i see people shaking their heads which means that you're already the smart ones i love that so blue letter bible is a great place to go it's a phenomenal app on your phone there's also a website so the app is blb like kind of like be right back but with an l and then um it's blueletterbible.org i believe is i think it is but if you just type in blue letter bible into google you'll find it it's a great website with um, concordances, you can learn Greek words and Hebrew words. You can sound super smart like me, right? So I'm not really smart. I just know where to go find things that make me sound smart, and now you can too. The reason I say all that is because there's more here than we'd ever unpack in a, in a day. There's more here than we could probably unpack in the rest of our lives, y'all. Like, Scripture is so rich, And so I'm not going to try to, like, just dig into all 14 verses because we would literally be here so long that you would throw things at me and then run out. So I'm going to try to give you the highlights. Um, So here we go. Let me just do this very simply. Let me give you two reasons why Christians should not live in sin. You ready? Two reasons not to live in sin. Some of you are like, what does that even mean? It means that we live in such a way that, have you ever had somebody say, the devil made me do it? Have you ever heard that phrase? Like, you just have to look at them and say, you're such a heretic, right? If you're a believer, the devil can't make you do squat. You chose to listen to the devil. And then you chose to sin. He didn't make you do anything. Right? So here's two reasons why not to sin. Number one, it's just so theologically rich. We don't have to. I, I don't even know what to say. I, there is a lot of preaching that is done to make you and I feel like we don't have a choice but to sin. And all I'm going to tell you is... We did an entire series on fear, shame, and manipulation and how, how Christians, pastors, use those tools to make sure that believers feel controlled and they have to come to church. And the reason that pastors do that is because we're a little bit afraid. We're also ruled by fear. We're afraid that if you really knew how free you were, you might not choose to come to church. But that's between you and Jesus. Jesus. Because he said not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. So if you're going to obey scripture and follow Jesus, I don't have any doubt that you're going to come to church. You might not come to my church, but I I hope you do. And I hope you bring your friends. I hope everybody in Albemarle comes to the gathering. But that's not a reason to make people feel like they have to do things. You don't have to sin. I think you should tell the person next to you, you don't have to sin. Because we don't believe it. Y'all, we don't believe it, and here's why we don't believe it. Because we sin. Y'all are like, God, I hope this gets better. <laughs> Two reasons not to sin. Number one, we don't have to. Here's what we're going to see. We already read it. We're going to see that we have been set free from the power of sin, and we, it no longer has power over us. It no longer holds power over us. Over us, and here's the second reason not to sin: there is a better choice to be made. Not a political statement, just something we can all relate to. I'm a product of the '80s. Come on, y'all. Who else was a teenager in the '80s? Raise that righteous hand right now, y'all. Best music. Yeah. I love it when my kid. I mean, I just like it when kids say stuff like have you heard this new song? And I'm like, that was our song in the 80s? You just took it and redid it. And not nearly as well as we did it the first time, right? So get your own stuff, bro. One of the things that I learned in the 80s was how the church holds political power. That wasn't a good thing to learn from the 80s, that if we just get a whole bunch of people together like a big, giant, righteous mob then we can use our power and exert it over culture and they'll suddenly not be bad. They'll turn and be good. Some of you are like, I don't even know what you're saying, but you will when I tell you that we were told to boycott Disney. This is not a political statement. I don't care if you like Disney or you don't like Disney. My point is, I was raised in a church culture nationally that believed if all the Christians got together and stopped doing that thing, then that, the bad people that created that, that thing that we're now boycotting would stop being bad people when suddenly they would fall in love with Jesus. Y'all, sinners sin. It's what they do. Why does sinners sin? Because they have to. They have a nature, a sin nature. That, I I don't, please, if you're, um, Cutright won't do this because he's the guy that takes care of like cutting these sermons up into like one minute bites, he will not put this part out there. But please don't go out and tell people that I just said that we're better than those sinners. I didn't say that. What I said was sinners don't have a choice, they have to sin. Christians, and I mean people following Jesus, apprenticing after Jesus, who literally in their heart mean it when they say, I want to learn the ways of Jesus. When we sin, we chose it. I need you to let that sink in for a second. I don't mean that in a condemning way. We're going to get to Romans chapter 8. You'll, you'll understand why. We get to Romans 8, there's a reason why Paul says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus because he's going to spend chapter 6 and chapter 7 saying some hard things about how we should be interacting with sin but we probably aren't about false beliefs that we've carried around that we probably shouldn't and by the end of these two chapters we're all going to be like what hope is there like are you as screwed up as that? can I Oh, are you as jacked up messed up whatever up you want to put the, are you are we as bad together as Paul just made it sound, and the only answer is, eh, somebody help. And he's going to say, thanks be to God that Christ Jesus delivered me from this body of death. There is now, therefore, no condemnation in Christ. But right now, we're going to feel it, okay? So we, we were sold this, this lie. And I'm, again, not against people getting together and having common beliefs. But we can't boycott sinners into heaven. Sinners are going to sin. That's how Taylor Swift meant to write the song. Right? She just went with haters going to hate. Sinners are going to sin. They don't have a choice. They are slaves to sin. Chained to it is the language that Paul's using in Romans chapter 6. But he says we have been set free. We have a choice. Now, Again, if you if you weren't here for the scare tactic series, maybe go back and find it so you can know in my heart. This should start making us feel some kind of way about the way we sin too easily. It does me, like ooh, I chose that because what Paul's going to start saying is you have a better choice that you can make right now. His name is Jesus. You can choose differently than you're choosing now. So now that we have a choice, Paul's going to highlight that we will continually and consistently choose what we value and love. I'm going to say that again because that needs to sink in. And you're going to feel the weight of it. What Paul's going to say is now that you can choose. In the moment that you choose sin over freedom, you are saying, take a deep breath, that you actually in that moment value the sin more than you value your Savior. Do y'all feel that? I know that sounds really ugly. It's just truth. It's just truth. Um, Parents in the room, raise your hands even if your kids are grown. You already believe this. You already believe this. You've already lived this out, which is why you have had conversations with your children while they were growing about accepting responsibility for the choices that they made. Right? Shake your head because I know you had those conversations, right? You're like, your brother didn't make you do it. Your boss is a jerk, but he didn't make you do it. She didn't make you do it. Like You need to take responsibility for the choice that you made and learn to grow up. God's just saying the same thing to you now, doesn't it? And you're like, ooh, I wish I'd known how it felt. I would have been nicer to my kids, right? <laughs> like, he's just saying, hey, church, grow up. Part of growing up is, like, stop blaming everybody else and recognize that you've been set free from sin. Like, you were chained to it. I set you free so that you could live over here in freedom with me. But you chose without a chain on your foot to go back over here and he's like i need you to own that that's why repentance is such a gift in the body of christ that's why when i say to jesus i'm sorry please forgive me he's like 100% i'm cool let's wash you clean and bring you back over here right shall we go on sinning this is important cuz i'm going to get i'm going to talk for a minute about addiction when he said in um verse one shall we go on sinning it's a greek verb tense these are things you'll learn at blueletterbible.com and you will sound like so smart like i did just then it's a it's a verb tense that indicates habitual sin this is really important because because we're all human well, you all, y'all are human right no no rob, robots in the room because we're all human, we're going to leave this church service, and, man, we've been in the presence of God. It's been fantastic. Even my preaching is pretty good right now. It's good. It's going to be a good morning at the gathering, and we're going to get in our cars, and you're going to have a fight. <laughs> if not with the people in the car, with the person in front of you that's slower, they won't hear you fight, but they'll know it's happening because they'll see you in the rearview mirror like, you know, they'll know something's going on, like either you're getting stung by a bee or they're not driving fast enough. <laughs> and you're gonna remember that I said, wait, Paul said, shall we go on sinning by no means? And you're like, oh my gosh, what's wrong with me? Why am I why am I doing do I, I don't love Jesus now? And I just need you to know this is about habitual sin. That you something you do over and over and over again. It's a horrible illustration, but it's the only one I can think of. It would be like if I said to Wendy, I love you with all my heart, but just a couple weekends a year, I'm going to go love somebody else. But I'll be back. And then the next year it happens again, but I come back. And then the next year, and then the next year, and at some point Wendy would look at me, with a, probably with a gun in her hand, <laughs> right? Right? And she'd be like, dude, you don't love me. No, no, I I really do. No, no, because this is a habit. This is a pattern. This is something that you continually do. That's a strong word, church. I need you to hear it with grace, okay? I have not hidden that I've been delivered from porn addiction from y'all. And that was my recorded prayer. You know that I love you. Why do I keep going back to this? And for so long, I lived like I was a victim to it. But this, if this is true, I was choosing it. And there's freedom in owning the fact that we choose sin over the Savior. Because then we can repent. And he can strongly support us. There's a verse in the Bible about that, right? The Holy Spirit goes throughout the world looking for people who are committed to him so that he can strongly support them. So I wrote this in my notes. When I wrote that about habitual sin, the, first, the next three words, I just wrote down, what about addiction? Because I know we have people in the room who, who either you are struggling with addiction or you have something in your life that you love that is struggling with addiction. And so I'm not a therapist. I don't even know if I'm a theologian. I'm just a dude that loves Jesus, okay? So I'm just going to write down. I'm going to read to you what I wrote. It's not gospel. This is just me, my pastor's heart, okay? What about addiction? I just wrote down, do addicts love Jesus when they continue to choose the substance? And I would say that habitual, unrepented of sin is Paul's main idea. I have been around addicts who are truly repentant and sorry for what they've just done again and again and again. And it doesn't mean that addicts don't love Jesus I'm so thankful for ministries like Teen Challenge and Ground 40 and Gateway of Hope that are reaching people who are messy. And the reason that they're messy is because you and I stop believing that they love Jesus. Because we look at them and go, well, if, if you really love Jesus, you would stop doing that. Dude, they can say the same thing about us. Well, I don't have an addiction. Y'all y'all gossip like addicts sometimes. We complain like addicts sometimes. We whine like addicted little babies sometimes. They could say the same thing to us. Our sins are just not as messy nor as public. Does it mean we don't love Jesus? No. It only means that we don't love Jesus when we choose to not repent of it. I, I, I hope that, I, I don't have the picture with me, but um, I have this, this picture on my computer of an iceberg, and it's, it's like a picture of the Titanic when it hits the iceberg, and the Titanic's like starting to sink, and it just says mistakes, and one big word, mistakes. And it says, my life serves as a warning to others. <laughs> I think that's so fantastic, right? Like, don't go this way because I went this way and I hit this iceberg. I, I hope that my dying breath to the Lord is, please forgive me. Not because I'm not sure that I'm saved, but because I want be to be about this far from him when I die. And repentance is the gift that keeps you close to the Savior. Our problem is that we never come back and ask him to forgive us. And so so that habitual sin becomes even easier to continue to do because we never pay attention to the Holy Spirit who's convicting us and saying, you don't have to do that. Addicts actually, physically, sometimes do have to do that, and we need to help them with that. This is not a sermon about addiction. I just didn't want to be the guy that says, love Jesus more and he'll take care of itself. Because sometimes there's stuff that has to get fixed as well. The most poignant quote I ever heard about addiction is that people that don't understand addiction think that people get addicted to have fun. But people that are addicted, they just, get addicted. They just keep taking the drug to get back to some kind of normal. They're not even having fun. I'm just trying to survive. So I wrote this in here. An addict could choose a substance over many things over and over and yet repent in true remorse every single time. Will that addict wear people out? (laughs) I put probably, but the answer probably should be yes. But people aren't God. I'm so thankful, right? God doesn't get worn out. When we're born again, we have believed. When we have believed on Jesus for our salvation, our relationship with sin is permanently changed. I heard a, th- uh, a commentator write this. He said, before Christ, we were dead in sin. Now we're dead to sin. Yes. Y'all, that's good news. You want to write down a verse. You can write down Ephesians 2.1. It talks about how we were dead in our sins. But now in Christ, we're dead to sin. We've been baptized into Christ and into his death. So let's talk about that word baptism. Um, The Greek word for baptize has the idea of immersing or overwhelming something. This is, again, not a theological statement on you if you were sprinkled as a baby. I mean, God can use all kinds of things. I do think that I believe the scripture is pretty clear about immersion. And here's one reason why. Because the the Greek word that's used for baptize literally means to immerse somebody. To be overwhelmed with something, which means this. If we've been baptized in Christ, then we've been baptized into something greater than our sin. Literally, our old sin nature is overwhelmed by Jesus. We've been baptized into his death, with him, into Christ. Jesus overwhelms our sin nature. You you were not taught this. You've been taught and I've been taught that we're overwhelmed by sin. How's your week going, brother? Oh, it's been a rough week, man. I just can't stop sinning. Like Somebody needs to talk to that brother and say, stop talking like a victim. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. It's so good. Come on. You might sin. You probably will sin. Like I said, we're all going to get in our cars and probably fight. But it doesn't mean that we have to. We're getting to it. Everybody take a deep breath. At the end, I'm going to give you three practical things you can do. <laughs> stop sinning, stop sinning. No, they're better than that. So our, our sin is overwhelmed. Our sin nature is overwhelmed. Our old nature is overwhelmed. Verse 5, being united. It says that we've been united with him in death like this. We will certainly also be united with him in resurrection like his. Um, the phrase, certainly, we will be united with him in a resurrection like this, that phrase, exact quote, exactly expresses the process by which a graft becomes united with the life of a tree. So, in John 15, when he says, like, abide with me, like, when he grafts us in, the process where the, the, the thing being grafted literally becomes part of the tree, that's what is being expressed in verse 5. If You've been united with him. If you've been brought into him in Christ so close like a branch onto a tree, like if that's how you were in death, then that's how you're going to be in life. Turn to the person next to you and say, I'm living again. Isn't it funny how the enemy's like, you'll never get over that. You'll never stop doing that. You're always going to have a problem. You better try harder. You better. Scra-. It's almost like the, the, um, on Mount Carmel with the prophets of Baal. He's like, maybe your God's sleeping. Cut yourself. Do other things. The enemy's always telling us, you'll never get over it. And he's like, if you've been so closely united with Jesus in death, you're going to live. You're going to be united with him in resurrection. And not just like somewhere in glory, like right here. Man, that's good news, y'all. This close union is both in his death and his resurrection. And so some people are all too ready to be united in glory and resurrection, like the glory of resurrection. That's all we talk about. But they're unwilling to be united with him in his death. I'm talking to the prosperity gospel people. Don't tell me anything negative. I don't hear anything negative. I just want to talk about the life of Jesus. Resurrection comes after death, y'all. <laughs> That's the way it works. Sorry. Like, you have to be willing to die with him if you want to be willing, if you want to be raised with him. Certainly means that there's no doubt that life in Christ will follow death with Christ. Now, verse 6. I think we're coming to the end. And then the rest of it, you can just blue letter Bible it. Verse 6 says, For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we would no longer be slaves to sin. Let's just pick that apart. Number one, our old self cannot be reformed, retrained, or rehabilitated. It has to be killed. It has to be killed. You, so many people we are trying to be better sinners, right? I just want to be a joyful sinner. I want to sin in such a way that people still, they're not put off by me. Like, no, kill that stuff. Like, we need, that old man needs to die. It has to be killed, and it was. So if the old man is dead, why do I feel a pull to sin? And this is something I'd never seen before I studied this week. That pull to sin comes from the flesh, which is not the same as the old man. Jesus killed our sin nature at the cross. Somebody say set free. free. You're set free from the sin nature if you're a believer. But you're not set free from your flesh. The flesh has to be crucified. It has to be killed. He calls us. He says, look, I killed your sin nature. I have cut that chain and you are free to make a choice. But this, that, Flesh in us, the desire that we sometimes have, sometimes it pulls us to the thing that we've been set free from. We have a part to play in that. Galatians chapter 5, verse 24 says this Those who belong to Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. That's what we do, y'all. I know I keep having y'all say stuff to each other because it's just fun for me. Turn to the person next to you and say, "Kill something. Kill your desires. We got to kill those fleshly desires." Um. Again, I'm. I'll just be the guy that puts it all out there, and you can just talk about me instead of talking about each other. But I, I didn't. I didn't get over porn. Like the way I got over porn was I. Uh, hang with me here. Stop looking at it. It just took a long time, right? It took a long time. We try all kinds of tricks, you know, like bring the computer into the family room. Well, the family at some point goes to bed. Still just you and the computer. I mean, like there's, a, you have to make a choice to stop feeding that desire. And until you choose to stop feeding it, You can still love Jesus all day long. You're still going to be drawn to it because you're feeding that fleshly desire. And I I hope this is making sense. That's what Paul's getting at here. And I think sometimes we read this and go, oh, I'm set free from sin, but I'm still sinning. I guess I don't really love Jesus, or I guess I'm not really set free. No, you're set free. You love Jesus. And in this moment, you're loving that sinly desire way more than you love Jesus. Repent of that and ask him to restore your first love. That's the way the Bible would handle that. There's no shame in any of it. It's freedom, y'all. It's freedom. So let me read a couple paragraphs because I don't want to get them wrong. With the old man dead, what do we do with the flesh? God calls us to partner with him and actively day by day kill the flesh just as he killed the old sin nature. To crucify it, make it dead to sin. We just read that in Galatians 5.24. But when we allow the flesh to be continually influenced by the old man's habits of the past, the world and the devil, the flesh will exert a powerful pull towards sin. If we let the new man within us influence the mind, the will, and the emotions, then we will find the battle less intense. How many of you love fast food? Raise your hand. I do. I love fast food. Like we were talking about this the other day, like the two cheeseburger meal from McDonald's, y'all. I don't know why it is. Like when we're sick, some of y'all are like, "That's just gross. Stop judging me. There's no shame. There are bad choices, but there's no shame. <laughs> there's something about fast food grease, man. Oh, golly. Um, if I go like on a long run, just put some greasy food in front of me, it's just so good. But and I know you know this. Do You know that they've actually put chemicals in fast food to make you crave more fast food? It is who said evil? Who said it's evil? Come on now, it's true. It's such good evil though. <laughs> I mean, the food. <laughs> there is no good evil, just in case Cut uses that clip. <laughs> it's making sure, right? Like they're They're literally making sure that we keep making the wrong choice. We can choose healthy food, but they're making sure that if we, so the first time I, you know, if if I was like, from this day forward, I'm never going to eat that stuff again. It's literally junk food to me. So I started eating organic, grass fed, whatever. I don't even know what to say because I'm not a healthy eater, but whatever that would be. Let's just say I do that for a week, two weeks, three weeks. It's great. Y'all are, like, hugging me at church going, like, dude, you feel good. Like, this is fantastic. Like, you're losing weight. Yeah, I'm working really hard, blah, blah, blah. You know, all that stuff. And then one day, one day I just give in. And I swing into McDonald's. I get that two cheeseburger meal. I get one of them down. I'm like, oh, sweet Jesus, this is great. (laughs) And then I come back, and I try to, like, live right are you seeing the parallel? This is, like, this is a Sunday experience for a lot of people. I made wrong choices for six days. I'm going to come in here and have a moment with Jesus. It's going to be so powerful, so amazing that I'm going to be set free from all that. And he's like, you already are. But then we go back the next six days and make the wrong choices. It's because the enemy has put something in it to make us crave it the more we choose it. And I... I'm not saying Jesus is not more powerful. He's not overriding your choices. And to ask him to do that is asking him to make you a slave just like sin made you a slave. And what Paul gets at is this, and we're going to wrap it up with this. He says he doesn't want to make you a slave to him because he wants you to choose him. Paul uses slavery language. I don't mean that in a weird way, but just he says, so now... Now that you have a choice, don't offer your body to sin. Offer your body to righteousness. Offer yourself as a slave to righteousness. Before I give you the three things that you can do, I'm going to read a story. I want to say this. I have verified that it is a true story. The people I'm going to read about actually did live. I tried hard to verify this part of the story to see if it was true, and it, yeah, I, it might be, but it's a great story, okay? So when you Google it later, as you should, be the Bereans and make sure I'm telling you the truth, you will see this pop up, okay? But this might be one of those stories that a preacher told somewhere that got passed on and on and on, but anyway, just listen, it's a great illustration. Now I'm going to read it because I don't want to mess it up. In the 14th century, two brothers fought. Oh, that could fit any time. No, I'm kidding. In the 14th century, two brothers fought for the right to rule over a dukedom. I didn't even know that was a word. It's like a kingdom. They were dukes in what is now Belgium. So in the 14th century, there were two brothers, and they were both dukes, and they were fighting. they were duking it out. Come on, y'all, you should clap, probably for that. That was fantastic. I just want to say, I love this side more. Okay, let's keep. Let's get, what is the point of the story? The point of the story is this is where Duke's mayonnaise came from, so hang with me, okay? I'm kidding, that was terrible. Don't leave, I'm kidding, I'm sorry. Sure. Okay, here we go, let's finish this up. You're doing great. The elder brother's name was Reynald. He got made fun of in middle school, 100%. But he was commonly called Crassus, which is a Latin nickname, and it meant fat. Do you know he was literally, there? I looked this up, literally he was called Reynald the Fat. I mean, because he was healthy, large. After a heated battle... Reynold's younger brother Edward led a successful revolt against him and assumed the title of duke over his lands, but instead of killing Reynold, Edward devised a curious imprisonment. True story, I'm pretty sure. He had a room in the castle built around his brother, a room with only one door. The door was not locked, the windows were not barred, and Edward promised Reynald that he could regain his land and his title any time he wanted to. All he had to do was leave the room. The obstacle to freedom was not in the doors or the windows, but in Reynold himself because he was grossly overweight and he could not fit through the door, even though the door was near normal size. All he had to do was diet down to a smaller size and walk out a free man with all he had before the fall. However, his younger brother kept sending him an assortment of tasty foods every day, and Reynolds' desire to be free never won out over his desire to eat. Some would accuse and did accuse Duke Edward of being cruel to his older brother, but he would always say simply, my brother is not a prisoner. He can leave whenever he chooses. But Reynolds stayed in that room for 10 years until Edward himself was killed in battle. And after his brother was killed, they, did, they came and they set free his brother. And the way they set him free was they had to cut out the door to make it large enough for his body to fit through. Church, you're free. You and I are free. We've been set free from sin. Sin shall no longer be our master. But our ability to live free has little to do with the power of God. It has a lot to do with our willingness to say no to the appetites and desires that keep us imprisoned. So here's what we do, for Romans 6, verses 11, 12, and 13. We do three things. Number one, we consider, we think. Romans 6, 11 says, in the same way, after all that he has said about being set free from sin, Paul says this, consider yourself dead to sin, but alive to God. I would just say this, it starts with your mind. And I don't mean that in a hokey like, think positive thoughts. I just mean literally... We have to see ourselves differently. We have to think about this differently. Not, I'm always going to be a sinner. I'm always going to be a slave to sin. No. If you're in Christ, those days are over. And if you always choose to sin, that's a you thing that you've got to work out with the Holy Spirit. Because the same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives within you. You have all you need. I have all I need to say no. No. If we think of ourselves differently, I am not a sinner who got saved. I'm a saint who occasionally sins because I choose it. Consider yourself. First we think, then we fight. Verse 12, therefore do not let sin reign in your moral body so that you obey its evil desires. Um, I know I've been talking a long time, but can we just agree on this before I I close in prayer? Is it not a fight to live that out? Like, (laughs) Till we wake up in the morning and go, today I choose not to let it rain in my body. <laughs> it's like, what? Like, who talks like that? Christians who take seriously that they can live holy lives. Do not let sin rain. That is the fight against the flesh, the world, and the devil. And then, so we think, we think, we fight, and then we offer. And let's, that's how we're going to close. Verse 13 says, do not offer any part of yourself to sin. So, again, follow this. When we sin, it's because we've offered ourselves to that. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you're not a follower of Jesus, you might have good days, but you don't have any choice. Right? Sinner's is going to sin. But when we've come to Christ, we, we, we can choose what to do with our lives. He says, don't offer any part of yourself to sin, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. Lord, today I offer my hands, use them as yours. I offer my feet, take me where you would go. I offer my eyes that I would look on things that you would want me to look on. I offer my tongue, y'all, what? To only speak words that are beneficial to those who hear. That it would edify them, Ephesians 4.29. That would build them up, not me. I offer all these things to you. My body to you is an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master because you were not under the law. You are now under grace. God, that's a lot to unpack, a lot to chew on. And I pray, God, over this family of believers at the gathering, those that have watched this online, those that will. Somebody's going to stumble on this message. It's going to be like 3 o'clock in the morning, and they're going to be fighting the flesh. And they need to hear this amazing message of truth that, Jesus, you have set your followers free from sin. We are dead to sin, and we say thank you for that. And I ask that you would empower us, God, to make the right choice, the godly choice, the prudent choice, to offer ourselves to you for righteousness instead of to our flesh for wickedness. It doesn't make us better than anybody else. It just means that we're living lives full of the power of the Holy Spirit who has set us free. And we say, thank you, God. Help us to say no to those fleshly desires so that we can walk through the door to the next part of our life that you've set us free for. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen.